0: Well, good morning, Bethel. Good morning to each of you who are joining us from your homes through Rogers TV and online. And a very special good morning to all of you out in the Egg Hall at Bethel Southwest. It's so good to get to be with you together this morning. As, As Bethel, as one church family, we have this incredible privilege in a number of different spots to be worshiping Jesus together and to be coming to his word today together. I want to invite you to bow with me right now and uh, pray as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day that you have given to us. We thank you for the chance that we have to unite together here and to hear from your word. Oh Lord, speak. We, your servants, are listening. May the words of my mouth And the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Back in late May, I was working on getting my pool in my backyard opened up. I had taken the tarp off, I got the levels in terms of the water raised back up, and then I, I went and took a sample of the water to the local pool store to get all of those, you know, chemical concoctions worked out to make the water nice and clean. So I got to the pool store and and it's a Saturday morning. It's late May, which is to say the pool store was absolutely packed. I get into line holding my water sample and waiting my turn in line. And uh, a couple people in front of me was this woman who was very visibly uh, worked up by the fact that she'd been waiting for as long as she had and the line that she was in. Uh, you could tell by the body language written all over her. You, you could pick it up by the size that she let go, not very so subtly, um, and even the things she was sort of muttering under her breath. When, when the guy that was working at the pool store finally had um, to help one of the clients gone outside to fill up their chlorine jug, she she says to the guy in front of me, um, I, I just need to pay for these these two little filters. I, I know exactly what I need. I grab them off of the shelf. Can I just pay quickly? I need to get going. And the guy says, sure, you know, whatever, that's fine. And so when the when the store worker comes back inside after filling up the chlorine, she sort of curtly jumps in and says, you know, I I I know what I need. I've got these two filters. Um, I just need to pay for these really quickly. And she's holding these two new filters and she's got her old little filter in her hand and can I, can I just pay for this quickly? And so the worker said, okay, walks over. And then as she's getting her wallet out to pay, the the pool store worker looks at her two filters and, and asks her a question about what kind of hot tub she has. And, and she at this moment is quite like, just like, you know what? I, you know, everything in her is saying, I, I know what I need. I've already got what I need. I don't need your questions. And she, you know, trying to pull it and pay, even as he's asking her this question and she just kind of abruptly answers the question. And then he says to her, well, that's not the right filter. All of a sudden in that moment her demeanor totally changed. She she was sure that she knew what she needed. She was sure that she had picked out just the right thing. And that, that pool store worker in that moment could have very easily just let her pay for that, rush off on her day, get home and realize that she bought the wrong thing. But in his wisdom and in his very gracious manner, he pointed out what that woman really needed. Today, we are starting back into the book of Psalms again this summer. In fact, as a church, and maybe you've been with us for quite a long time seeing this journey, or maybe you're brand new, but we've been on a journey through the book of Psalms as a church each summer for the last number of years. We, we set a goal to go through one Psalm a week each week in the summer. And so going all the way up to last summer, we've gotten from Psalm 1 all the way to Psalm 69. And Lord willing, this summer, we're going to jump into Psalm 70 to 79 in the weeks ahead here. I I love, personally, I love the book of Psalms. It's one of my favorite parts of the scriptures. It's this incredible collection of prayers and songs that God has given to us. And for so many people, actually, the book of Psalms is like a go-to spot for them. And I I don't think it's just because it's the easiest spot in the Bible to find, you know, just just pull your Bible open to the middle and you land there. I don't think it's just because of that. I think it's because the book of Psalms stands out in this beautiful, unique way compared to all the rest of the scriptures. See, every single, every single, part of God's word is perfectly inspired by God. Every single single word, every single thought, every single letter is inspired by the Holy Spirit and given to us. But in all the rest of the Bible, I had a seminary prophet way back in the day who said, all the rest of the Bible is God speaking to us. In the book of Psalms, it is entirely from the Lord, guided by the Lord, just like all of scripture, but it's different. See, in the book of Psalms, what we have is God-given words to us for us to speak to God. It, it's a book that speaks to and guides us in prayer, guides us in worship, guides us in songs that gives us words from God to speak to God in the midst of every part of life in the highs and the celebrations to rejoice in the Lord, in the hardships and the challenge and the anguish to cry out to God for others, for ourselves. It is this beautiful collection of prayers given to God's people to help us pray and talk with God. And today in Psalm 70 we have a prayer for when we are in some really big challenges. We have a prayer when there is opposition staring down at us, even coming after us. And we are in desperate need for help, crying out to God for rescue and help and assistance in the midst of those times. And sometimes when we find ourselves there, we can have this tendency to be just like that woman at the pool store where we think we know exactly what is needed. We're in the midst of the obstacles, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the challenge. And we think we have looked at the shelves of eternity and we can tell God, well, I know exactly what I need right now. And we've picked it off the shelf. And here is what I'm going to pray because here is what you need to do, Lord. But God here today in Psalm 70, friends, is kind of like that pool store worker who oh so graciously and kindly looks at our situation and says, you know what, I know what you really need. And let me help you learn to pray in a way that perhaps is not what you would have thought you needed at this moment. So let's read through God's word here together. The introductory title says, For the director of music, of David, a petition. Verse 1, Hasten, O God, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May those who seek my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha! Aha! Turn back because of their shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad. May those who love your salvation always say, Let God be exalted, yet I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Today's psalm is going to lead us to pray for repentance. That's what this psalm focuses on. Repentance at its most basic, simplest terms is a a U-turn. It's it's a word that captures this sense of like, I am going this way. And then there is this radical alteration of total other direction that leads me to go the opposite way. It's a sudden turn. I'm not going the way that I was. See, we all find ourselves... Every single one of us in these moments where we feel the weight of opposition coming against us, right? We all feel these moments where it feels like there is attack coming against us, criticism, critique. We're climbing and crawling to get out of the pit, but we just feel like we can't make any headway. It just feels like the clouds over top of us are so dark. We all feel that. What this psalm is saying here, where it leads us to like cry out, oh God, I need your help. Oh God, I'm calling out to you. Hurry, come quickly right now. We've got, for example, maybe someone at school who keeps talking about us behind our backs, gossiping, picking on us, bullying, starting rumors. And we're like, God, I need your help with this person who just seems to have it out for me. We've got these friends who it just seems like they are so critical and angry about anything and everything when it comes to God. Anytime you bring up God or Jesus or church or the Bible, they just like, the fuse is so short and they get so worked up. They're so critical. They're so harsh. They're so um, just angry towards it. And it's like, God, I need your help to know what to do with this person. We've Many of us got a loved one who is going through perhaps, you know, anguishing addiction or temptation. And it just feels like there is this giant hook stuck in their side and the devil's just reeling them in. And we're, we're looking at this loved one in our life and we're like, God, I need your help for this person. So we, we get this, right? We, we get when verse 1, hasten, O God. To come and save me. But so often, in those moments, as we get that angst, we have a crystal clear picture of exactly not only that we have a need, but how God ought to solve that need. And so we pray, God, would you just move that person to a different school so that the bullying would stop? We, we pray, God, would you just make this neighbor or friend of mine just just stop being so angry? Would you just take away the addiction of my loved one and just finally remove the obstacle or the temptation? But what if you and I need to pray a different prayer? What What if... What we need is not really what we think we need. What if the Lord knows something we don't and were to come to us and say, I want to lead you to pray for something a little bit different than what you might expect. Today, our text is going to call us, lead us, guide us to pray for repentance pray for repentance. Maybe it's praying on behalf of another for God to grant repentance to them. Maybe it's praying for a group of people that God would would bring about repentance in their lives. Maybe, just maybe, the Lord wants to challenge each one of us to look inside and say, maybe I need to pray for repentance in my own life. Verse 1 of our psalm begins, Hasten, O God, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. Hurry, God, move fast. There is there's this really desperate sense of urgency within this psalm. This psalm is actually fairly short and fairly punchy. It, it's actually interesting that it's almost, not quite exactly, but it's close to a duplicate of the last five verses of Psalm 40. Psalm 40 verses 13 through 17 are almost exactly the same as what we have here. Now, it's a portion of Psalm 40. It's a standalone prayer in Psalm here, in Psalm 70. And, and it's, it's not exactly the same. It's actually even a little bit quicker and a little bit punchier. It's already fairly like, I need you now, I need you now, God. But it's even that much more here In this psalm, I need salvation, oh God, hurry up and save me. This person who is close to me needs help right now. Oh Lord, come quickly. I'm going through a challenging time right now. I need your help right now. Deliver us. We need you, God. Now I want to teach you a little bit of some fascinating insights and a way to understand The book of Psalms. See, the book of Psalms was not originally written. Many may know this, but was not originally written in English. It was actually written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew prayers and songs that we have here in the book of Psalms are written, almost all of them, in a very poetic style. If, If we think about songs we sing today, whether in church or in general, they have a sort of like poetry to them as well, right? For, for us, what that means in English today is we have certain practices that show us this is sort of poetic and, and is part of a song. Often there will be a certain like repetition of the number of syllables to make it sort of line up from line to line and have the same sort of, you know, t- um, tempo to it. there there will be like a rhyme often at the end of the lines where the last word of each line rhymes. Think of, for example, probably the most famous hymn of all, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see right? You see the tempo that is followed there, and then you see the rhyme that is carried at the end of each of those lines. These are markers for us in English of poetry. In Hebrew, they had poetry markers too, but They were different than our markers. It wasn't rhyming and, you know, and tempo, but they use things like repetition. So they'll repeat a line with the exact same thing, but say it with slightly different words to really drive it home. Uh, So they kind of parallel each other or they'll repeat a line and, and swap out just one key word to really show you this is what's particularly important and draw your attention to it. They also have certain structures they use. And again, we we get this. So we sing a song, and typical songs usually have verse, chorus, verse, back to the same chorus, verse, back to the chorus again. We structure it that way. Well, in, in the book of Psalms and in Hebrew poetry in general, they had structures like that as well. And they're in a variety of different structures, but let me show you a little diagram of one, okay? So here's one, here's what I want you to think of, where each of these letters, A, B, C, represent a line of poetry. So you've got first line, A, second line, B, third line, C, and then you come to the fourth line and it actually ends up being almost this parallel or repeat or direct connection to the first line. So you have the first and fourth line parallel each other. And then you get to the fifth line and oh, it's interesting. That actually parallels the second line. So you get B and B prime there. And then you have a third line, which is the sixth line, parallels the third line and they go together. And then you get this last line that I've called their D of poetry. And the whole point of this is this cascading to go and show the most important point of this poem is the last line. So there's this beautiful lesson that we're learning and it all drives towards that very last line. I don't know if you've ever realized this before, but this is how Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter of the Bible, and the first account of creation works. It's actually a Hebrew poem. Have you ever noticed this before? See, in the first day, which you can think of day 1 as like the first line of the poem, God makes light and dark. And then in day 2, God makes water and sky. And then in day 3, God makes land. And then in day four, it goes back and repeats this again. Do you remember that structure we're talking about? So day four actually connects up with day one, where now God's going to fill in what he did in the first day. So he fills in the light and the dark with what? The sun and the stars. He then goes to day five, and wouldn't you know, he connects it up with day two. What God made in terms of the waters and the sky, he now fills with fish and birds. You go to day six, and God had made the land that connects up with day six. From day three, he makes the land. Day six, he fills the land with animals and people. And then all of that leads towards the standout day, which is day seven, which is when God rests. God finishes all of creation and sets forward this six-day work, one-day rest, totally set apart to focus upon the Lord rhythm that we are to live by. It's a, it's a poem. It's this beautiful truth that is conveyed in a poetic structure to drive home this one particular emphatic point. Another way that Hebrew poetry can be structured is kind of like an arrow. So you get the first line. Let me show you a diagram here again. First line, and then the second line, A, B, C, and then if the fourth line actually goes back where it parallels the second and fourth lines parallel each other and then the last line and the top line parallel each other and and the whole point here is to drive towards what's right in the middle. It's this beautiful structure to tell this wonderful convey this wonderful message with all emphasis all the neon arrows all the underline, bold look here let me shine this in on you on the center point. Now, you're maybe sitting here and trying to bear with me and like, man, I didn't expect to be coming and getting an ancient poetic literature lesson here at church. What's your point, Alan? Well, here's why this is important. This psalm in front of us, Psalm 70, is a poem that follows that last structure I just showed you. And if you want to really understand what God is trying to drive us towards, the ancient Israelites reading this in original Hebrew saw this immediately because they were used to it. We in English maybe don't pick up on it because it's not the way we do it. So it takes a little more study. But this is so important for us to see where God is driving us to. So let's walk through this psalm. Psalm 1, it says, Hasten, O God, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. Now, let me show you this. I'm going to put them up side by side here now with the first five. Where verse five says, first verse and then the last verse, yet I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Now, there's there's a one little addition in verse five where it talks about, yet I am poor and needy, which is really just this sense of expressing the crying out for help to God from the psalmist here. But I want you to notice the way the first and the last verses here are almost directly parallel together. It says in verse one, hasten. Then it says in verse five, come quickly to me. He says in verse 1, save me. And then he calls God his deliverer, the one who saves in verse 5. He says to O God, and then O God in verse 5. He says in verse 1, come quickly. Verse 5, he says, do not delay. O Lord, O Lord, help me, verse 1, you are my help. Verse 5. See, if we look here, what we see is David crying out at the beginning and the end, For help from God. Now, if we keep reading, we see that he is under clear opposition. David has people coming to attack him. We don't know the specific scene that it was for David. If you remember David's life from the Old Testament, there could be lots of scenes because he had lots of times where people were coming after him. But I think part of the reason why, in some Psalms like this, we don't get the specific. Here's the backstory that was happening for David is because it gives us the reminder that there's room for us to find ourselves in this Psalm 2. The original context isn't necessarily that immediately important because we can all find ourselves in this spot where we're crying out to God, where we feel opposition coming against us. We see our society pushing against the ways of God's word and the values that we hold. And we feel what the psalmist here feels in verses 1 and 5. Maybe you've got someone really close to you who is wrestling with whether to use what has been made available because of the made laws to end their suffering early or not. And in their ears, they are hearing all kinds of people say, you can do it on your terms. Why wouldn't you want to? Maybe there's someone you know or love who has just found out in the most shocking of ways that they are pregnant. And the thought of having a baby would ruin everything they think their life is going to be about right now. And so they're hearing all of these voices chirping in their ears. Well, You don't have to inconvenience yourself by going forward with it, with the pregnancy. And we're like on the side watching, crying out, God, would you please intercede at this moment? Oh, my dear loved one needs help right now. Maybe, maybe you find yourself with opposition in your own family where there's somebody in your home or close by where every time you seem to be around them, they feel like it's their mission to make you feel like nothing. They go out of their way to crush and put you down at every single turn. And you're like, oh God, I need your help. Or maybe you find yourself in the midst of such incredible temptation and struggles and you're like, I just can't get out from under This this pattern that I keep going back to over and over and over and over again. And we get what verse 1 and verse 5 are saying. Well, look at verse 2. God's word says, May those who seek my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. God, I'm praying against this enemy. I'm praying against this opposition to me or to your ways, these attacks, this weight. I feel so overcome and my dear friend feels so beat down right now. Oh God, would you. And we pray against these enemies. Now look at verse four. Remember the poetry, this parallel. It switches. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you, God. May those who love your salvation always say, let God be exalted. See, what happens from verse 2 to verse 4 is it's like, God, I want the people who, who were opposing me, who is one group in my mind, to become this second group. I want to see change happen. I want that story to be my story, the friend of mine, the loved ones of my story, where they're rejoicing with gladness, where they're praising God, not darkness and fear and despair and attacks, but but transformed life and celebration. Please, God, please bring that about. Please help me. Please help me my child, please help my dear friend, my husband, my wife, my, you fill in the blank. There is this contrast in these two verses, verse two and verse four. But if we look a little closer, we see this beautiful poetic poetry again. See, in verse two, David talks about those who are seeking his life. And then in verse 4, he talks about those who are seeking the Lord. In verse 2, he talks about those who seek to destroy David. There's two things that are going to happen to them. Two things, shame and confusion. But then he says in verse 4, For those who seek the Lord, there are two things that are going to happen to them. Rejoice and be glad. In verse 2, he says there are those who desire His Ruin. And then in verse 4, he contrasts that with those who love God's salvation. In verse 2, he, he talks about those who are going to be turned back in disgrace. And then in verse 4, there are those who are always going to be saying, Let God be exalted. See, David is in need of saving. He's crying out to God, verse 1 and 5. He points to this parallel now between verse 2 and 4 of two different groups of people. Those who are in opposition and those who are rejoicing in the Lord. And it's all leading to the center of this psalm. It's like an arrow going right to the tip. And what's that tip? It's verse 3. It's verse 3. Verses 1 and 5, 2 and 4 lead us in to this third verse. It's like giant neon lights pointing and saying, hey, look at verse 3. This is the main point that God wants to drive home for us here. May those who say to me, aha, aha, turn back because of their shame. May those who look at me and laugh at me, may they turn back because of their shame. This is the central plea of our song. This, I want to suggest, though it may not have been immediately obvious to us when we just read it through in our language, would have jumped off the pages to the original readers and was at the heart of what David was led by the Holy Spirit to write. This is what we actually need to get off of the shelf this time. We may think we need all of these different things, but, but here God is saying, "Oh, dear child, I want to lead you to pray for repentance." This line in this prayer leads us to pray for a person, a group of people, perhaps even for ourselves, for repentance. For those who say, "Aha, ha ha," that was the cry of an enemy when they were standing over top of their defeated foe and they were laughing and scoffing at them. We see this a number of times come up in other places in the scriptures. In Ezekiel, for example, Ezekiel 26, God says, Son of man, because Tyre has said to Jerusalem, Aha! The gate to the nations is broken and its doors have been swung open to me. Now that she lies in ruins, I will prosper. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I am against you. There's this this enemy that has come, broken down the gates of Jerusalem, stands over top of the people and is just laughing at them, scoffing them, being like, ha, look, we've defeated you and now we're all good. It's the cry of arrogance against an enemy. May those who say this, verse three says, may they turn back because of their shame. That phrase, turn back, it means, I'm going this direction, and I turn and go the exact opposite. It's this abrupt about face, this U-turn. It's repentance. It's repentance. I, I wonder, how often have you prayed for repentance? Repentance. How often does that come to the forefront? See, we come against obstacles and, and we want, we think what we need off the shelf is we need them to just stop. We have people criticize and, and we want them to be silenced. We face obstacles and new laws in our land and we pray for a different government to come in and just do away with them. Or we put up rants on our social media or we go to protests against them. We think that's what is needed. We think we know exactly how how God should move in this particular moment If we pray at all, we pray to God saying, all right, God, I've already picked out off the shelf what you need. Here it is. Can I just have this now so I can get on with my way? And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe, just maybe, you need something different. Maybe you need a prayer that is a little different than what you first thought. How often do You pray for repentance. How often do you fall? Do we fall to our knees to intercede for specific people, humbly asking the Lord, please change their hearts and transform their lives. How often do we look beyond the circumstances that we just want to stop and pray for the person who is behind it for their heart to be transformed? How often do we find ourselves in the midst of struggles and addictions and challenges trying to claw ourselves out and saying, God, would you just make it all go away rather than falling on our faces and saying, oh God, would you break my heart and turn me the other direction? repentance is at the heart of our faith friends you think back to jesus ministry right as it very began here's what it says in matthew the gospel of matthew chapter 4 from that time on after jesus was baptized and then went out and defeated satan in the desert he began to preach repent for the kingdom of heaven is near Or you could go to Acts chapter 2. The very first sermon preached at the very beginning of the church. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You go to the very last book of the Bible in Revelation as Jesus spoke to the different churches, and he says this to one, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The Psalm here leads us to pray for repentance, friends. It leads us when we face opposition when we face criticism, when we face attacks, when we face temptations, when we feel the weight upon our shoulders to call out to God, but but not with a heart that says, oh, I know exactly what you need. But it's pushing us to call out to God for heart transformation, for a turn in direction for that person coming against us for a repentant U-turn in their soul. We may think we need it to just stop. We may think they just need to be gotten rid of. We may think we just need instant relief. But here God is pointing us to a different solution. Here God is pointing us to a different and perhaps unexpected prayer. So when was the last time you prayed for that friend to experience repentance? When was the last time you called out to God for that neighbor to have a U-turn in their heart? When was the last time you pleaded not just for the behavior to cease of your wayward child and for them to be refrained from but to have repentance shower down in their soul? When was the last time you prayed for whichever leader it is that is over you, not just to be removed out, but to have their soul transformed by the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you fell on your face crying out to God in brokenness, oh Lord, grant me repentance. God is leading us in this song toward prayers for a U-turn. And the God who wrote this song is not sitting with his finger wagging, looking at us, oh, oh, let me now get ready to let you have it. No, he's a father with open arms saying, that's exactly why I sent my son for you. That's exactly why Jesus came and lived and died and then rose again to take all the mess for us going in that direction and make it possible for us to turn the other way, to offer forgiveness to show us we can be welcomed and loved, to make us new, to give us a new heart, to remove our disobedient spirit and to give us his new, his holy spirit in our lives, to welcome us and to transform us from the inside out. May God grant us the grace to pray for repentance.